Okay, good morning. Morning, everyone. Okay, bring your conversations to a close. Great, thank you. Some Bibles coming around, which will help as well. Oh, can you de-gain me a little bit, Michael? Too much gain. Okay. Well, it's, it's good to know that uh, Vicky's going to help me to find something to sleep with at the church weekend. <laughs> We're not... <laughs> if you need to share a tent with somebody, I think is... <laughs> We're not that kind of church, Vicky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, this morning is my, my last time here for three months before I start sabbatical in about an hour's time, just as well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so planning to be back in church on the 20th of August here, and uh, we'll be around for Shirley Ann's funeral uh, on Wednesday week, and uh, we'll be coming to the church camp as well, but uh, in terms of Sunday mornings, this is it until the 20th of August. So a few things before I go. Um, there are a few things I'd really appreciate it if you didn't do while I'm away. I'd really appreciate it if nobody died. Um, so if, if you're planning to do that, can you just hold on uh, to a little bit later in the year? Uh, I'd really appreciate it if nobody did anything particularly daft, if there wasn't any particularly disruptive sin amongst us. I'd really appreciate if that didn't happen. Uh, you can pray for me as well. That I, I don't die or do anything daft while I'm away for the, <laughs> the next three months. Um, there are things I would love you to do. Uh, I'd love you to, to pray. Pray for me and Grace, that would be great, but I'd love you to pray, pray for our mission here in BCP and to the nations of the world, pray for God's presence and blessing upon us as a church, his favour towards us. I'd love you to witness, to speak to people about Jesus, make him known, and uh, I'd love you to be a worshipping people who keep on giving praise to our Saviour. I want you to remember your priestly call. If you're a Christian, you are a member of a chosen people, a royal priest of a holy nation that uh, I have the privilege of serving as pastor here, but each one of us who's part of this church is called as a priest, that all of us are called to minister before the Lord and to make him known and to offer him praise. So remember your priestly call. Keep praying, keep witnessing, keep worshipping. Uh, there are a number of reasons why somebody like me taking a sabbatical is, is, a, is a good idea. Um, but uh, give uh, Vicky a break from my cruel humor. Uh, it's, good, it's good to take a rest at times, a season of rest. Uh, inevitably, when a pastor goes on a sabbatical, people always say, are you looking forward to your holiday? And um, it's not just going away on a holiday for three months. Uh, there will be some holiday, and there's a couple of weeks of, of family holiday I've got planned as part of the three months. But the focus is not holiday as such. The focus is on rest, on uh, finding refreshment in God. Later this week, I'll be hopping on my bike and cycling over to the Isle of Wight, where I'm going to be spending four days at a monastery, uh, just to recalibrate, reset things, start to try and reorientate my soul towards the Lord some more, and be doing that kind of thing, things which are 
uh, hopefully restful for my soul and spiritual well-being. Another reason why taking a sabbatical is a good idea is that this is a, a, a test for somebody like me of, of my, the genuineness of my belief in the sovereignty of God and the grace of God. I said last Sunday that I was feeling anxious about going away, and that wasn't a joke. That was, uh, that was genuine. Uh, when uh, you're used to carrying responsibility for something, it can be a challenge to lay it down. And that's actually a good test, I think, for, for pastors to uh, walk away for a little while and say, I'm really testing, believing, testing my faith, not testing the Lord, testing myself, that I trust in the Lord, that he is sovereign, that Jesus is much more competent in leading his church than I am, and the team here is great, and we're a priesthood, and so everything will be fine if I'm not around for a few weeks. That's a good thing to do, I think. Of course, the whole, the whole principle of Sabbath is that kind of test of faith. So when the Lord instructs his people to take a weekly Sabbath, and then at different times to take sometimes up to a whole year where the land would Sabbath would rest. It was this test of faith. Do we trust God that if we don't work today, if we, the sun is shining today and it might rain tomorrow, but we're not going to go and harvest our crops today because we're trusting that God will provide whatever happens. It's a real test of faith in the sovereignty of God to provide. That's part of the purpose of Sabbath. It reminds us that God is Lord, not us. It reminds us that he keeps the world turning, not us. It reminds us that in the end it's his working which is far more important than than our working. So that's another reason why it can be good for somebody like me to take a season of Sabbath. And then there are a couple of uh, practical things I'd love you to do uh, while I'm away. Uh, Vicky's already done a great job of this, but if you are not yet booked into the church weekend, I'd love you to do that. I know that some just are unable to get there for various reasons, but if you possibly can get there, uh, do get yourself booked in for all the reasons that Vicky has said. It is a really important time for us. And then one other practical thing we're going to start again next week is that it's been a long time since we have taken up offerings on a Sunday morning. We stopped that during COVID when there was all the worry about passing germs on baskets, uh, a worry which was completely ill-founded anyway in terms of how the virus spreads, but nonetheless, we stopped passing baskets around and we never got back into it and part of that was just we stopped doing it and part of it is we uh, don't want those who are new amongst us to feel that we're asking them for money and if you are new amongst us, we're not asking you for your money. Uh, But there is something that we lose by not taking up an offering because our offering is part of our worship. That we, again, it's a way of expressing our trust in the sovereignty of God and the grace of God, that we entrust him with our finances and we joyfully, gladly come and offer him uh, our financial gifts as a way of expressing faith and trust in him and love for him. And uh, we feel it'd be helpful for us to do that again, to have that visual reminder. Uh, Many of us give electronically through our banks, uh, but even if that's happening, even if there's not much actual money going in the baskets, it's a good to have, for us to have that visual reminder week by week of what we're about, that we're people who offer ourselves to God, and that also includes, includes the offering of, of our money and possessions. So from next week, we will be starting to take up offerings again, and if you want to give that way, you, of course, are more than welcome to do. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I thank you so much for this church. Thank you for this company of your priestly people. I thank you for all that you have worked in us and are working in us. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your blessing on us. I pray, thank you for the sense of your presence in this room this morning. I pray the rest of our time together here, I pray as we open the word now, we would hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us. And Lord, I pray these uh, three months while Grace and I are away, that you would pour out blessing upon blessing on this church and uh, all kinds of favor and all kinds of fruit 
would come out of this time. I pray it for myself, and I pray it for my brothers and sisters here, for us together corporately. We would know your favor, your blessing, your grace in increasing measure. Amen. Okay, we are in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verses 19 to 51, page 1063 in the church Bibles. I just started a new series in the Gospel of John. Last week, we were looking at the first part of chapter 1, what's called the prologue. The prologue sets the cosmic scene of this gospel, that the word, the light has come. God has broken into the human story. And the rest of John chapter 1 introduces a cast of characters to us. First on the scene is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the great herald or witness of the coming Messiah. And then Jesus appears, and here Jesus is introduced as the Lamb of God. And that's important, and we'll come back to that. And then Jesus' first disciples are introduced, and four of them are named. We're introduced to Simon Peter, to Andrew, to Philip, and Nathaniel. There's also an unnamed disciple who's in the story, who we think is John, after whom the gospel comes. And so the story, where the gospel begins, goes from the inconceivably vast, in the beginning was the Word, the one who created all things, the one who stands behind the initial singularity, behind the Big Bang, behind it all, Jesus, he is there, the creator, starts that vast cosmic scale, and then in this story, it comes right down to the intimacy of an individual man's heart, because where this part of the story ends is with Jesus talking to Nathaniel and penetrating deep into Nathaniel's heart. There's this amazing gulf that is crossed by the bridge who is Jesus from the cosmic right down into the individual heart. That's what Jesus does. Jesus comes from the immeasurably vast down to the intimately personal in how he connects with you and with me. And uh, this section, we haven't got time to, to, to read the, all of it and do it all justice, but this part of the story begins with a personal question. Leaders, religious leaders, come to John the Baptist, verse 21, and they say to John, who are you? Who are you? And behind that question, who are you, there are other ways that question, other things that question implies. Who are you? What are you? Who do you represent? What's your authority? And that's a a, a question that all of us need to be able to Answer, Vicky Clark, what are you? Carlos, what's your authority? Where do you come from? We need to be able to personally answer these questions ourselves. TP, who do you represent? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves and be able to answer. And the way that John answers this is that John answers who he is in relation to who Jesus is. He defines himself by his relationship with the Messiah, with Christ. And my contention, really what I wanted to talk about this morning, is that it's only by us knowing who Jesus is that we can really know who we are. It's by knowing the chosen one that we ourselves can know what it is to be chosen. We can find out who we're truly meant to be. And so uh, the verses I want us to particularly focus on this morning are verses 32 through to 34. Let's read these together. Then John, this is John the Baptist, not John the disciple who writes the gospel. We always have to bear that distinction in mind. John the Baptist gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. 
And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is an amazing moment of, of encounter between John and Jesus and revelation. Now, John the Baptist is a great man. There hasn't been anyone like him in the national history of Israel for a long time. He's like one of the prophets of old who has reappeared out of the wilderness. He lives in the desert. He, he appears to be, a, in some ways, an eccentric hermit. He's dressed in camel hair. He's eating locusts and honey. But there's a power and an authority about him which draws the crowds. And so crowds go out into the wilderness place to see John, and they go to him to be baptized. What, what, what is happening is that there's something about John which makes the crowds identify a need in themselves. There's something about what he has that makes them see what they are missing. And so they go to John to be baptized. And there are some of them who are very obviously in need of God's grace. We're told that the tax collectors went in Luke's account. It says even the tax collectors went to John. Even the tax collectors. The tax collectors were the most despised group in society, collaborating with the Roman occupation, defrauding their own people, hated by everyone. Even the tax collectors went to John. And the soldiers, those who upheld the oppressive power. But John draws a much bigger crowd than those who obviously need the grace of God. The tax collectors and the soldiers clearly needed God's grace, but the crowd is much bigger than just those particular groups. And these are God's people, these are Jewish people, but they know that they need more, and so they come to be baptized by John. And uh, we're gone, I'm back. And that, um, that baptism is a sign of fresh commitment to the plans and purposes of God, and it's a sign of cleansing, of, of being washed. Some of the same things which happen when we baptize people, commitment and cleansing. But John's ministry isn't about John, and John claims nothing for himself. We're told in the, in the prologue, in verse 7 of chapter 1, that John came only as a witness to the light. John's ministry isn't about John. John's ministry is about the chosen one. And one of the interesting things about this is that John and Jesus knew each other, and they knew each other from even before they were born. Now, in the Gospel of John, we're not told about this, but Luke in his Gospel does tell us about this. Luke chapter 1, it says this, at that time, Mary got ready after Mary had been told that she would conceive from God. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is the one who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now we're told uh, earlier in the Gospel of Luke that Elizabeth and Mary were, were relatives. That's why Mary goes to see her. And so there's a profound connection between the two children they're going to bear. Elizabeth carrying John the Baptist, Mary carrying Jesus. And 
John leaps in the womb at the presence of Jesus as Mary comes into Elizabeth's house. It's, a, it's an incredibly poignant and beautiful image. You've got the life of John recognizing the one who is life. And the amazing thing about this is that at this time, Elizabeth was around six months pregnant with John. So John in his mother's womb as a six-month-old baby in the womb. Jesus was only about 10 days old when Mary came to Elizabeth. And the mystery of the incarnation is so unfathomably great. Imagine Jesus as a 10-day-old embryo in Mary's womb. And yet, John, by the Spirit, as a six-month-old baby in his mother's womb, recognizes the Lord, the Messiah, the Chosen One, in Mary's womb, and leaps for joy. And something the Bible doesn't tell us, but we can wonder about, speculation about these things is always dangerous, but did John and Jesus know each other as they grew up? We're not told anything about that, but it seems at least likely, because they were relatives, that John and Jesus would have had some interaction as they were growing up as, as cousins. And you can speculate, again, speculation is dangerous, but you wonder what they might have spoken about. If John, as a six-month-old baby in his mother's womb, leapt with joy when, he, when he, Jesus came into the room as a 10-day-old embryo, what kind of conversations did John and Jesus have as boys and teenagers and young men as they were growing up? We're not told. We speculate. But when we get to John 1, verse 33, John says, I myself did not know him. I did not know him. This is John who'd leapt in his mother's womb at six months when Jesus came in the room. I did not know him. Now, what John must mean is that I did not know he was the Messiah, that somehow the divinity of Jesus was veiled, even to John, somehow up until this point. In, in John 1, verse 10, it says that the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. And somehow even John didn't fully recognize Jesus until he saw the Spirit descend like a dove upon Jesus. And it's at that moment that John sees fully who Jesus is. And we should see the connection between those two stories. When Mary visits Elizabeth, we're told that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and John leaps with joy in her womb. And now, all these years later, the Spirit descends upon Jesus, and John sees who Jesus really is. It's the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit who reveals who Jesus really is. Jesus is God's chosen one, and he is the one by whom the Holy Spirit will be poured out. John comes to baptize in water. Jesus comes to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And as we work through the Gospel of John over the next few months, we're going to see how important this theme is, this theme of Jesus being the one who comes to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people. And here at Jesus' baptism, we get this picture of God the Trinity. John has been sent by the Father, to proclaim the Savior who's going to come, to witness to the Son. And now the Son is identified by the Holy Spirit descending upon him. And at this moment, on the banks of the River Jordan, a bridge is being constructed between heaven 
and earth. Heaven is opened, a dove descends, and the Son of God is identified. God is getting to work on earth. People are coming to John to get baptized, but God is about something much greater than that. Something much bigger than that is being set in motion. And as well as seeing the huge significance of the Holy Spirit opening people's eyes to see Jesus, we we also shouldn't miss the, the geographical details in this story. In verse 28, it says that John was baptizing on the Jordan, a place called Bethany. It's very specific. There's a particular place we're told where John was baptizing, where Jesus went, and where John suddenly saw who Jesus was. The God of the cosmos breaks into specific lives in specific places. Heaven really does touch earth. And it's that which we hope for, long for, pray for, delight in when we see it happening. That on that day, Bethany by the Jordan... Spirit of God descends upon the chosen of God, upon Jesus. John's eyes are open to see who Jesus really is. God of the cosmos is building a bridge between heaven and earth. That's what we're looking for in our day as well. That's what we're looking for not just in Bethany on the Jordan 2,000 years ago. That's what we're looking for in BCP on the English Channel in 2023. We're looking for heaven to come down to earth and for men and women's eyes to be opened as the Spirit goes to work and suddenly they see Jesus, the chosen one, for who he is. That's what we're looking for. And this heaven and earth connection is made explicit by Jesus at the end of this part of the story. In in verse 51, Jesus is talking to Nathanael and he says, Very true that I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now Jesus is talking to Nathanael, but actually the you there is plural. We always have this problem with translating other languages into English where we just have you. I don't know whether it's singular or plural in English, except by context. In the Greek, this is you. Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, but he's talking to the others who are there, and by implication, he's talking to us. I, will, I tell you, you will see heaven open. You will. And the angels of God are sending and descending on the Son of Man. And the story that Jesus is referencing here is the story of Jacob told in Genesis 28. Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, runs from home because of a conflict with his brother Esau. He falls asleep and sees a vision and he receives a promise from God. And this is what it says. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. At this moment, Jesus declares to those first disciples that Jacob's vision and promise are now being fulfilled. That Jesus is the one who opens heaven to us. Jesus himself is the stairway. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus is the one. He is the one through whom all peoples of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is the chosen one. There's another image in this story we need to return to. When when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God 
This happens twice. It happens in verse 29 and then again in verse 36. Look, the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist was called as a witness. He was called to go ahead to make the way ready to proclaim the coming Messiah. And John is excited about Jesus. He wants to draw attention to Jesus. Look, there's Jesus. There's the chosen one. And in this story, we see some who were disciples of John leaving John to follow Jesus. And John is fine with that because it's not about John. It's about Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God. And there's something of a model and an example to us there, I think, a challenge to us. I feel it myself. How excited are we about Jesus? How often do we say to others, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're called to be witnesses, just as John was. We should witness to Jesus. We should have a similar excitement. We should have a similar desire to call people's attention to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look. And the imagery here is really important. What we see in this story is that the Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and John describes Jesus as the Lamb of God. And that signifies some some important things. One thing it signifies, first of all, is is gentleness. Gentleness. Elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is described as a lion. We sang our first song this morning, or second song this morning, He is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. And that's the way that Jesus is described. Jesus is described as king, as as a mighty warrior. Strong, powerful images. And The Spirit of God is described in different ways in Scripture as well. The Spirit is described in some places as fire. But here we see Jesus described as the Lamb and the Spirit descending like a dove. And the thing about lambs and doves are that they are the least threatening things imaginable. Last couple of months, lots of lambs being born in Dorset fields. I don't think... Unless you've got a very strange phobia, nobody, nobody feels anxious if there's a lamb in the field. <laughs> if there's a field of cows and there's a bull there, lots of people feel anxious, understandably. But if you walk through a field and there's a lamb, people don't tend to run in panic. You're not worried you're going to be mauled to death by a lamb. Kill a lambs on the, loo- on the loose. It's just not how it works. <laughs> lambs are not threatening, and neither is a dove. Doves are not threatening. Gentle, both those things, both those creatures, lambs and doves, in our minds, in our our social architecture, the way we imagine things, you want to think of an image of something which is gentle. A lamb and a dove represent gentleness. And so I think we need to see the gentleness of God which is displayed in this story. Who is Jesus, the chosen one? The Lamb of God. Who is the Holy Spirit? The one who descends like a dove. And it might be that you're feeling bruised and weary this morning, even just talking to a couple of people before the service. A couple of people were saying to me about their bruises and their weariness as they came in this morning. I'd love to pray for you at the end. If you're feeling bruised and weary this morning, The one that we come to is gentle. There's gentleness available for you. Jesus the Lamb, the Spirit the Dove. It's important that we see that. 
But something else we need to see is that the lamb and the dove come with power. The reason that Jesus comes as a lamb is to remove sins. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right at the start of the story. This is before, this is before Jesus is recorded as doing anything. Before Jesus does anything, John is already pointing to the cross. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was a lamb that had saved the people on the first Passover when death came upon Egypt. The blood of the lamb on the lintels of the doors of the Hebrews was what saved them, what brought them into life rather than death. It was a lamb that was offered as a sacrifice for sins. It was the blood of the innocent which covered over the sin of the guilty. And Jesus is the lamb. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His sacrifice is sufficient to deal with the sins of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to atone for the sins of the world, Jesus' sacrifice is, to deal, is sufficient to deal with your sin. If you're carrying the burden of sin, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to deal with that. Jesus' Jesus sacrifice was sufficient to cover the sins of the world. Jesus' sacrifice can cover your sin. The Lamb is powerful to take away sin. And the dove fills us with the power of God so that we can live as a royal priesthood, so we can live as witnesses to Christ. And as we go through the Gospel of John, we'll see how important this imagery is and the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. Very soon, in the next uh, couple of pages, Jesus starts to talk about people of the work of the Spirit. He meets with Nicodemus and says, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be born of above. You need to be born again. He meets with a, a, a woman at a well and says, you need to drink from water which doesn't run out. And you need to worship in spirit and in truth, not just by the customs of your ancestors. And Jesus, as water is poured out in a great festival at the temple, Jesus stands up and says, come to me and drink those who are thirsty. Streams of living water will be poured out in those who receive me. We need to know the reality of the outpoured power and blessing of the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Spirit. John said, I came to baptize in water. One comes after me who's coming to baptize in the Spirit. Jesus is that one. He's the chosen one who pours out his Spirit on his church. We need to know that. We need to know the healing of the Lamb who delivers us from sin. And we need to know the filling of the dove, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for us. I pray that Jesus, anybody this morning who needs to know deliverance from sin would know you, the Lamb, who takes away the sin of the world, healing them, delivering them. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would come and descend on us afresh and fill us, empower us, Lord. I'm not quite ready yet, lads. You can stay there for five minutes, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
As it's my last Sunday, I'm going five minutes longer than normal. Yeah, let's not lose the moment. Spirit of God, move on us, fill us. This is a story about this is a story about God breaking into normal life. Now, one of the remarkable things about this whole story is that we haven't yet heard anything from Jesus. Jesus spoke all things into creation at the beginning, but we don't hear the mouth of Jesus, the man, opened until we get to verse 38. And what Jesus says then is significant. The first words that Jesus speaks are these. What do you want? What do you want? And we need to hear the tone of that question because this is a question which can be asked either as a rejection or as an invitation. You you know, this is a rejection question. What do you want? What do you want? That's a rejection question. That's not how Jesus is asking this question, though. Jesus is asking an invitation question. Andrew and John, what do you want? What are you seeking for? What are you looking for? First words that Jesus has recorded as speaking. What is it you want? What is it you most need? What is it in your life you're most desperate for, searching for, seeking for, wanting for? And the answer Andrew and John give is equally interesting. Their response is, teacher, where are you staying? And what that answer implies is that they wanted to be where Jesus was. They, they wanted to abide with Jesus. And again, as we go through John, we'll see this is an, an important word, abide. Jesus talks about this, John 15, you need to abide in the vine. There's a, a living in God that we're called to know, experience, and enjoy. Andrew and John, what do you want? Jesus, we want to be where you are. We want to abide with you. We should want to be where Jesus is. And then verse 41, it says, the first, the first thing, the first thing, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, for me, again, this is a challenging illustration. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother and take him to Jesus. We need to get better at inviting our brothers to meet with Jesus. And part of that is we need to get better at inviting our friends and family to be here on a Sunday. Each Sunday we proclaim Jesus. If you want your friends and family to meet Jesus, bring them to the place where Jesus is talked about. I feel the challenge of that myself a few years ago. Not a lot, but fairly regularly I was bringing friends to church. It hasn't happened so much in recent years. I feel the challenge of it myself. Those of us who are called as priests, as witnesses, we should feel the challenge of this. The first thing that Andrew did was find his brother and bring him to Jesus. Where this part of the story begins is with the question the leaders have for John. Who are you? That's a question that we all need to be able to answer. 
It's by knowing who Jesus is that we can know who we are. The way that we really find ourselves is by coming to the one, the chosen one. He is the bridge between heaven and our hearts. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You can come up now. <laughs> let's stand and let's pray. Actually, while we, um, while we sing this next song, let's come and take uh, the bread and wine and bring it back to our seats, and then uh, I'd like to lead us as we take the bread and the wine together. And uh, at the end of our time, if you anything that God's stirring in you out of this story, come and receive prayer. If you need to be filled afresh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, come and get prayer. If you know that your, your witness is not as it should be, come and ask for fresh confidence and witness. If you're feeling bruised and need to know the gentleness of the lamb and the dove, come and ask for prayer for healing and grace and fresh measure of his mercy upon your life. And as we respond in worship now, as we take bread and wine, let's come to Jesus. Let's come to Jesus and allow him to minister to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the one who, yeah, bridges the vast, uncrossable chasm between heaven and our hearts. I pray that we would know that in a fresh way today. That you would minister to our hearts. That just as you looked into Nathaniel's heart and spoke to him exactly what he needed to hear. I pray that we would know you speaking to our hearts. And we would see you. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see Jesus afresh. The chosen one. The Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Let's worship. Let's come and take bread and wine. Let's enjoy Jesus together.
Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right from the beginning, before Jesus had done anything in his ministry, it's all pointing towards the cross. The sacrifice the Lamb would make, which would cleanse us from our sin. And the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit, by whom we were sealed, received the guarantee that we belong to God. And so Jesus, at the end of the story, which of course is just the beginning of the greatest story, with his disciples, ate and drank, and said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do this in remembrance of Christ. We 